So we are going back to Shema and the third part of the session that she did at Modest Fitness Week 2020. Today we'll be focusing on mentally recovering after a birth and what we can do to actually support our mental health as well as fitness. How can we start getting back into fitness? What should we be thinking about? And um, the idea of bouncing back and how that is not necessarily beneficial for our recovery. Thank you so much to Shema, Dr. Mason, Adila Yelton and Amal for this incredible, incredible podcast. And I hope you enjoy the last part we'll be sharing in the TRI program. I want to also I want to come back to the mental health aspect. Um, Dr. Maysam, if you can give me your input on the fluctuating hormones that affect postpartum blues or postpartum depression and how you recommend in a natural aspect, like what helps those conditions? Are there ways to help it? Yeah, so I love what was touched on, just touched on with, with all of the getting the support that you need, really taking care of yourself because, you know, healthy, healthy mom is healthy baby. So that's really, really important. Um, and then also getting that support from the partner. We women will lose around about 700 hours of sleep in the first year after they after they've had a baby. So that's huge, huge. I know <laughs> that's a huge stressor on the body let alone now that you have to take care of this new being. And if you're, you're not a new mom, but if you already have kids, you have that, uh, that quadruples the effect as well. If you have another toddler running around or another child in the house or more. So principally, when we talk about something called postnatal depletion, um, it could also, uh, one of the causes can also be because of the false ideas around motherhood and mother care, kind of like what Adila was just uh, talking about. Um, and also because you're, you're depleted, like you've gone through a major, major life-changing event of having a baby. Um, your hormones have gone through a huge, huge shift. Um, and it's a huge transformation. If you're a new mom, now, now you're into motherhood. So there's ideas that you had, maybe you had ideas about your birth, um, the birth plan didn't go as expected, maybe you had ideas about how it would be cute and cuddly all the time, and that's not what you're getting, you're getting a colicky baby, um, you're having issues also maybe healing with scars if it's post C-section, or if even if it's vaginal, that there could be a very traumatic birth, and so the healing time can be a lot different the healing the whole healing, healing process can be a lot a different of an experience than what you expected um so getting that support is really important focusing on sleep as much as we can i know at, at times that might sound like it is impossible with with having a baby running around or crying um, and waking you up at night but really vocalizing your needs to your partner if the, if the partner is around and vocalizing your needs to the people that are around you if you have any family or friends it can go a really long way in helping you um, get get back to yourself or get your sense of identity back. Um, having a, a structured plan, I echo that uh, so much. Um, focusing on diet and making sure that you're getting a lot of healthy proteins, a lot of healthy fats, because healthy, basically the main precursor to a lot of our sex hormones uh, in our body is cholesterol. And we get cholesterol from healthy, fat, healthy fats and we want to get it from healthy fats. So things like avocados, like olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, like raw nuts, raw seeds, all of these are really, really important for um, giving our body the proper nutrients to be able to produce the um, right quantities of the hormones that we need to get us feeling better. And anytime we focus a lot more on sleep, uh, we kind of are giving our body the ability to restore and rest. And that helps to reduce cortisol, which is our stress hormone. 
And when our cortisol levels are high, it shunts the way uh, our body is producing our sex hormones. And that's going to affect everything <laughs> in your body, your menstrual cycle, all of it. And focusing, of course, on healthy proteins because they are the main precursors for so many things in your body. They're important for your muscle. They're important for your immune system and your immune support. They're important for making hormones. So getting your uh, getting them in through eggs, getting in them in through chicken, uh, meat, all sorts of all sorts of meats. If you eat meat, beans, lentils are a great source of protein as well. The other thing that I also wanted to talk a little bit more about is nutrient deficiencies postnatally, because I think that's something that we don't, I know here in Canada and in North America in general, medical doctors may not usually touch on this. Um, and so, but, there, but if you are nutrient deficient, if your vitamin D is low, if your vitamin B12 is low, if your iron is low, it can, it can be a cause for a lot of anxiety, a lot of mood changes as well. So if there's any underlining vitamin or mineral deficiencies, we want to, we want to take a look at them. Um, so there's certain lab tests that I think are important to run in that, in that critical postnatal window. So looking at iron, looking at zinc, copper, uh, vitamin B12, vitamin D, calcium, magnesium, cortisol, which is that stress hormone, thyroid, thyroid is huge and plays such a big role in a healthy pregnancy and healthy delivery and cholesterol would also be super important. And then supplementing where it's needed um, and using, and, and there are a lot of vitamins and minerals and also herbal um, medical herbs that are safe for us to use postnatally. So if someone is deficient, making sure that we are correcting any deficiencies. And then if they're still lacking and needing a little bit more support, maybe it's more energy, maybe it's they're really struggling and, and still have, having or feeling a lot of stress, giving them a little bit of ashwagandha can go a long way. But I would just, uh, my, my biggest thing is I never really um, encourage anyone to self-supplement because even though something is natural, it does not mean that it doesn't interact with any other medications that you're on. So if there's women with a hypothyroid or a hyperthyroid condition and they're taking thyroid medication, for example, then there are supplements that can interfere with that. So you want to be very careful. Um, and make sure that it's being done under uh, under the, the expertise of someone who's who's licensed um, in in doing that. And then getting some movement in can go a long way for helping to regulate your hormones and your mood. So even if it's just gentle stretches, gentle walking when you feel comfortable and ready to do so, some yoga, weekly acupuncture. Acupuncture is a great way to help build the body again, build the body through through spleen, through the liver channels, um, and helping to build blood, and then um, relaxing whenever you can. Um, Ahmed, I want to come back to you. I've been eager to get, can you talk? about prolapse, postpartum prolapse, um, and all the different complications that can happen and um, how to avoid it or how to work with it or what would you tell a mother, basically? So um, I personally have suffered from prolapse to some degree. Um, and just to you know scientifically place it right, right in front of you guys, but there are four different types of prolapse. There's the walls of the vagina, there's the uterus prolapse, there's the bladder prolapse, and there's a bowel prolapse. And basically the prolapse by definition means it's your organs are falling out of place. And that usually happens when your ligaments and your muscles basically overstretch. It could happen from, you know, lifting heavy weights. It could happen from pushing through delivery. Um, some people are pushing for hours on end and it's not just like a five minute thing. So it's the bearing down process that might affect the muscles 
uh, and it could also be a genetic thing. So there are so many factors that come into play. And the reason why I feel like I was so passionate to talk about this is because firstly, no one talked to me about this. And secondly, there's so much fear around prolapse. And I even read someone write something down where they said, we don't even talk about diastasis enough. And I think it's the opposite. We talk about diastasis way too much and we talk about everything else way too little. And I feel the reason is, is because diastasis is a visual thing. It's more about an appearance. A lot of people have a functioning core, but because there's a gap, suddenly they're like, no, there's something wrong with me. And I feel like it's because we're holding on to what we want to look like more than it being about function. And when it comes to prolapse, people are more you know, secretive about it is because people can't see the prolapse, right? So it's something that, you know, it doesn't really matter because it's not affecting how I look. When I first gave birth, I felt like there was a ball in my vagina. And keep in mind that I did not train any heavy weightlifting. I did not train um, any parkour during the period of my pregnancy. I was very careful. Um, and I feel like there are things that you could, could avoid but at the same time, there's so much that's out of your hand um, and that we need to remind women of that is that it's not your fault. Even if you could have avoided it at this point, I feel like blaming yourself is not going to fix anything. So when it comes to prolapse, there are three degrees and it really depends on how low your organs are. Are they protruding from your vagina? Are they still, you know, there are different degrees to that. And um, I've met different people. Some people have decided to live with it. Some people have decided to go through surgery and there are different options and there's mesh and there uh, some people even have a ring that is placed right inside that could uh, your basically your gynecologist could help you if you ever choose to take that route. But some people actually work on just working with their pelvic floor um, and working on strengthening the muscles of the pelvic floor. Um, and what I really enjoyed about the course that I took specifically, which is for, you know, uh, postpartum for athletes is that they teach you how to incorporate strengthening your core and kegels within strength exercises so like I, I've been taught how to breathe even during pilates during yoga but no one ever explained to me how to breathe during like a deadlift or during like a push-up a pull-up and these are like things that are more of my sport and these are things that are very high demand on the body you know, even if you tell someone do cardio and she, the first thing she thinks about is running during the first, especially during the first couple of months during postpartum, your pelvic floor is super exhausted from the nine months of bearing down with a baby. Suddenly we have commercials telling you, but you need to lose the weight. So go do cardio. How do you help someone understand that you need to progressively load exactly this whole concept of bouncing back is, is is such a toxic and dangerous um, way to approach things. So for me, prolapse um, can happen at any point in your life. It could happen even without a baby. It could happen to a powerlifter. It could happen to someone who has problems going to the bathroom. When Even when you have chronic constipation, you can even get prolapse. So there's so many different ways that this can occur in a woman's life. And it's up to her, basically, or up to her doctor as well to come up with a decision whether this person wants to take the surgery route or if this person can live with it. Um, and I took an, an additional course specifically with two athletes who had gone through prolapse. And the fear that is 
being uh, pushed forth where basically if someone has prolapse, don't lift any weight, uh, don't lift any weights above 10 kgs. These are the advice that people are giving us, but our own kids are like 15 kgs when they're like two and a half, three years old. So how, how are you actually telling people not to lift their kids? I feel like we need to support women um, in that process. Even if she decides not to do surgery, how are we going to help that person manage certain symptoms, whether it be it by understanding how to breathe during high demand exercises, whether it be it how to properly engage your core through breathing. And I know all of you guys are like experts in that field. And still, I feel there's there's a gap where people think it's, oh, I have to think about how I breathe when I lift things. Yes, uh, maybe before uh, pregnancy or you didn't feel that you needed to think about these things, but we are new people. We are, we are definitely um, at a different stage in our lives and we have new bodies. There's no such thing as bouncing back. So when it comes to my approach, when someone's struggling with prolapse, I would definitely tell them that I want to give them 1000 options before they decide to even do surgery to see what we can work with. Because a tummy tuck, even a mesh surgery for a prolapse, you're, you're not fixing the problem, which is basically managing pressure in your abdominals, right? You're basically trying to have a solution, trying to have something, but there has to be something that backs it up, with, which is your awareness of how much pressure you're putting either on your core, which is your diastasis during the last trimester of pregnancy and you're waiting for it to heal, or your prolapse. Um, and I feel like uh, this is where um, you need someone who has gone through the knowledge and through the certifications to help you do that. Because when I first gave birth, if you see my videos pre-pregnancy, I'm doing crazy things. And it was so dangerous because one of my coaches, he's a male coach and I don't blame him. He just doesn't know, but doesn't know any better. Um, he's like, ah, oh, you can handle it. I was like, and I can't tell him, I feel there's a ball in my vagina. Like, how am I going to tell him that? Um, so you really need to kind of take a step back, find the right people to, to train you. And you also have to find the right people that will help you achieve your goals. What if you have a power lifter that has prolapse, but still wants to power lift? I feel that's our job. We, we need to support people with their dreams and now make them feel like, no, 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 just stop training. Just walk. That's unrealistic advice. And it's advice that could actually affect a person for the rest of her life. I had the girl yesterday send me a message. Well, she went to her gynecologist. Uh, she hasn't given birth or anything. Uh, she was training for a long period of time. Suddenly she started feeling a lot of pressure in her pelvic floor or pelvic floor area. Her doctor told her that her uterus was really low. She didn't check her properly to begin with. She, she just basically said it because this is something, especially in our culture, I don't know about you guys, but in the Middle East, you hear it all the time. Oh, you're, you're, you have an inverted uterus. You have a really low uterus without actually checking. They just assume based on symptoms. So I asked her, did she, did she check you? Um, how did she come up with this, you know, prognosis or whatever? And she's like, oh, she just, you know, I told her I was exercising and she told me that. And it was just, it was a shock. And okay, you tell her there's a problem. Where's the guidance? What are you going to tell her to do? Um, and she, I told her, I advised her to go a physiotherapist that specialized and she ended up having a condition. I forgot what it's called, but it's like cramps in the pelvic floor area. So she suggested some very few exercises that she can do where 
it supports her journey into fitness and it's not telling her to stop fitness completely. And I feel that's the issue. Again, there's black and white. You have a, you have issues with your pelvic floor, just stop doing everything and, you know, live your life sitting at home. That's not a way to support a mother, nor is it a way to actually help a mom get stronger, um, both mentally and physically. I think another thing I just want to add when it comes to the diastasis, I know that we've been taught that it's the gap, but truth be told, it's not, it's not about closing the gap. It's about learning how to engage your core. So you, what if you're, what if the gap never closes? That doesn't mean that you have a weak core. You could have a very strong core. You can have a functional diastasis. No one talks about this. Sometimes your core doesn't close. Your, your diastasis doesn't close, but you still have a functioning core where you are able to distribute the pressure properly. You are able to not have any bearing down or bearing outward. So I feel like that's in itself a success. But the fact that we think that our core need, or our diastasis needs to close completely for us to be healed, I think is also a very um, dangerous concept because I still have uh, almost three gap separation next to my belly button, but I don't see any bearing down. I learned how to control my breathing. And I've learned that there is a chance that this isn't like, it won't go back. There is no going back. So we have to accept our new normals. We have to accept that healing isn't something that's visual healing. It's not something that's literal either. Um, healing is going to look different from one person to the other. Um, and whether someone decides to do surgery to close the gap, there's no shame in that. It could be even for aesthetic reasons, there is no shame in that. But it's also understanding the difference between wanting something for aesthetic reasons and wanting something for health reasons um, and for functional reasons. I think that's the only thing I need to add. Yeah, and I think it's really important to like whatever route you take to be able to incorporate also the recovering aspect of that, which is learning to engage because in the end of the day, it's your core pelvic floor diastasis is like all of it is what's protecting you what's holding you together what's allowing you to stand up what's allowing you to function to be functional is extremely yeah. important whatever route you take it's very important to learn how to engage and that is your recovery it's not necessarily how much you close how big in the, the gap diastasis. is yeah for sure yeah 100 and anyway like with with separations i usually like a, a lot of people they they come back to like two fingers and then they can't bring it back. Like you said, like yours has been, you can't close it completely. Like, and that happens. That happens. It's very common. I'd also look at depth. So if your finger yeah. is going a little bit, if it's going exactly. very deep. So that is, a, that's actually more important than how yes. wide it is. And once you learn to engage correctly, which you need to know, because when you're getting out of bed, you have to engage correctly when you're coming out of a seated position. You have to engage correctly when you're picking up your child, a stroller, a car seat, whatever it is, you need to learn to engage so that you are functional. And that's kind of what's important for health being functional. Thank it was you. so great having all of you ladies. And this is our passion. Really? <laughs> so we really love to help anyone. So I hope you got as much value out of today's golden nugget as I did. Remember, we are here to inspire you to succeed every single day. So be sure to tune in daily, whether you're in bed, driving in the car or relaxing after your workout. Listen to these amazing women in our community who are absolutely smashing it. Be inspired, learn from them, make those connections, build momentum to succeed in everything that you do. And most of all, have fun whilst you're doing it, because that's what it's all about. And I'll see you all tomorrow.